filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Ben, you graced our fair city with your presence this weekend. How was your weekend in the district? My weekend in the district was very good and very busy and very exhausting. Sounds like any vacation I've had with kids. Yes, I'm going to need to have a number of weekends here back in Richmond to recover from my vacation to the District of Columbia. That's... That's fair. Uh, I feel that way after any travel at all. Uh, also, I uh, to, to get more specific, I now hate L'Enfant Plaza with a passion. As you we, should, in my we, experience. Because we got off the metro at L'Enfant Plaza and tried to get to the wharf by walking, and it was very bad. Wait, That's so, what the internet told yeah. us to do. So, so you were misled, and it's a location's fault. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's because not it, the internet's fault. It's not Ben's fault. It, it put us out in a, the middle of a uh, mall, and then it just assumed we would know how to get from the mall to the wharf. So, I blame L'Enfant Plaza. Yes, I do. It is better than it used to be. L'Enfant Plaza it used to be super rundown. Now it's only moderately rundown, but still confusing. Roach, Roach, what's your least favorite metro station in D.C.? Ah, man. Ah, that's a tough one because they're all so bad. Um, We only ask the hard hitting questions here on Filibuster. Seriously. Uh, You know what my favorite one is, is the new one. Oh, what's the Noma one on the red line? That's 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 mine. That's my neighborhood. That's a really nice one. Used to be New York Avenue. Yes. And then they had to rebrand it, uh, a.k.a. gentrify it. And uh, yeah, it's good now. Congratulations. Yeah, when I lived hey, in yeah. when I lived in D.C. for a summer, uh, my internship was right off what used to be the New York Avenue, now the Noma uh, uh, Metro Line, and I I enjoy that Metro stop. It's a pretty decent. Yeah, one. it's good. If you guys that's want to talk about gentrification, to go to the uh, that's the one you got to get off at to go to the um, the uh, preview center, right? Yeah, Union Market is that that's the closest one to Union Market. Yeah, uh, though you have to walk under a very sketchy uh, underpass under the train tracks on Florida Avenue and then cross Florida Avenue, which is uh, <laughs> no small feat, and then the walk through still... the, the wholesale. The Wendy's still oh, there? Oh, Wendy's is still there. Dave Thomas yeah. Circle is still there. Uh, DDOT is doing what they can to get rid of it up to and including probably uh, using eminent domain to take that Wendy's. Um, but But... Hopefully take it, they will, because that is not a good spot. The Washington Post did a big story on the history of that triangle where the Wendy's is. And it's it's weird, and it's it's good reporting and a good story, but it, it's it got to go. It's bad. I love the, uh, uh, I love the, the walk to, uh, to the preview center, because I love passing, walking down that wholesale street. It's awesome. Yeah, and it's changing like crazy right now. Uh, yeah, and I, but I don't love that. There's a Trader that. Joe's there now. 
there's yeah, a, exactly. There's a Trader <laughs> Joe's there. There's that a, a super expensive coffee joint. There's there's actually right down there. There's another a brewery uh, that ships B R U E R Y. Uh, very fancy beer club that ships in what they make in California. And they're opening a pub next door to it here. There's uh, also Aleteri's, which is still there, which is great sandwich shop. Go there. I have no problem buzz marking them. They are they are great. Uh, little Italian grocery store and sandwich shop. That's fantastic. Uh, but if you want to talk about real gentrification, Elon Musk right now is digging a tunnel not one block from the Noma Metro station. Uh, to It is the first tunnel he's digging in the... Uh, for for the loop or hyperloop or whatever you want to call it, uh, that Are will plans eventually Musk? to connect. <laughs> no, but it, you don't have to buzz market him. Uh, no, but we're buzz marketing Noma <laughs> right now, I guess. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the buzz marketing and black and red united podcast. I'm Adam I'm Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson and Noma. Uh, here on the show, we're all from blackandredunited.com, and tonight we are joined also by greg roach from dc 101 and formerly the capital soccer show and pitch pass and uh many many places roach welcome back man yeah how many uh how many failed podcasts have i tried to launch featuring mls so props to you guys for continuing the slog of trying to get an mls focused podcast up and running i think this is episode. i mean the the trick is to never look at your listening exactly yeah yeah don't look at the number of listeners you have don't do it yes that's a trick. It's like when you're a public figure, don't read the tweets about you. Don't read the news. When you run a, a niche podcast, don't look at the listener numbers. And don't let your <laughs> advertisers look at the listener numbers. That's the big one. And Adam and I are, Tonight are we, uh, we're, doing the, uh, we're doing the Spider-Man pointing at each other meme. Because the last time I was on, <laughs> I was the host and Adam wasn't here. So it's a little uncomfortable now that I am here while Adam is also here. <laughs> we're just going to do the, the old filibuster thing of constantly talking over each other exactly that's how we do it here tonight we have a twitter box we're going to answer your listener questions and in the second segment we're going to have uh our friend matt ralph from the brotherly game on to help us preview dc united's trip up to philadelphia this saturday it's an afternoon game and it's on twitter so expect things to get weird uh before we talk about that though greg what are you drinking uh, well, I, I wanted to go classy today, so I did. Uh, a friend of mine on Sunday gave me a uh, the Flying Dog Horn Dog Barley Wine 2013 Vintage. So I busted that open, and I will tell you, I am not a barley wine guy even a little bit, but this is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I'm classing up the joint tonight. <laughs> you really are, because I'm drinking... A, a cheap Belgian white from Salt Lake City called Ugh. Mission Street. Um, it's it's fine. It's it's a fine example of a cheap Belgian white. Um, I don't mind it at all. But now I'm really jealous. <laughs> Adam, I was really hoping you were going to say you're drinking High Life. <laughs> um, I, I don't have any of the champagne of beers. Oh. Fortunately or unfortunately, I'll let you, I'll let you decide. Ben, what are you drinking? So while I was in uh, the District of Columbia, I went to uh, Wardman Wines, which uh, Adam has mentioned on this podcast before in Brooklyn, because uh, my Airbnb was in Brooklyn. Um, 
And the thing I noticed comparing DC liquor prices to Virginia liquor prices is that um, things that are local to the DC, Virginia, Maryland area, I feel like those are cheaper in DC liquor stores, but things that are mass market, like your Jim Beams and your Evan Williams's, I feel like those are cheaper in uh, Virginia's ABC stores. But I took advantage of that and bought a uh, fifth of uh, Catoctin Creek's uh, rye whiskey, uh, which I've never bought before just because it is $10 more expensive in Virginia than is in the District of Columbia. And I had made a Manhattan out of it, and it's it almost tastes like a scotch. It is that it has that depth of flavor. So I really commend the Catoctin Creek people for making a really good rye whiskey. Excellent. Now I'm jealous of both of you, Jason. Am I going to be jealous of you too? You should be. Um, Just I... on principle. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I, I've done something you've never done, which is I've survived into year number 36. Um, hey, happy birthday. An achievement. I literally raised my beer, even though you can't see you, it. So that, that I don't know if that one's actually worth being envious of or not. Um, but uh, I, a friend of mine uh, found this um, American brandy. It's a California brandy called Osacalis. Um, and it is spectacular. And I finally, he picked me up a bottle and I managed to meet up with him over the weekend and get my hands on it. Um, and it's just as good as I remember. It's, uh, just an all around, um, it's just an extremely strong brandy, um, strong in, in quality terms, not in, um, it's not overproof or anything like that. Um, so that's it. Just, uh, Osakalis neat. Yes. Yeah, I'm super jealous of all three of you right now. I may have to stop the show and go get a different drink because I am I'm bringing it down. Apparently, I'm just I'm, I'm holding us back right now. Uh, let's move on. We, we won't dwell on this. Uh, we've got a Twitter box. We're going to answer your questions. Uh, before we do that, though, speaking of Twitter, this game is going to be on Twitter. Uh, that is the only English language uh, feed outside of. I, well, I guess anywhere uh, in the U.S. You Spanish language use, on Unimas. You can use the SAP function on Unimas, though. I, I don't think you okay. should. Um, yeah, you probably shouldn't. It's not great. Is Ramsey Sandoval still doing it? Uh, it's... it's uh, who is it? It's him and Nico Cantor, I think, at the same time. Um, and it's never clear who the play-by-play guy is. Um, it's just confusing. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm curious how we feel about the game being on Twitter and being streamed. If you a lot of households don't get Unimas, I don't get Unimas, um, and and so I'm like well, I might get Unimas. I don't get UDN. What whichever one it is, a lot of people won't be able to watch the game on TV, so they'll have to go to Twitter. Uh, LAFC and the Chicago Fire both have streaming for their local broadcasts essentially replacing it. So I'm curious what you guys think of, of this trend toward over the top video for MLS TV. I mean, my main thought about it is just, I wish that there was something I could, that that I could throw it up on my TV, uh, that the Twitter app worked on my TV. And that's my only concern. Uh, Other than that, I don't care what service it's on. Uh, I just want to be able to put it on my TV through my streaming my streaming uh stick of choice 
I mean, I, I guess for me, the main thing is like, I mean, we're not too far from an era where uh, about 20 to 25% of DC United's games weren't on TV, period, uh, unless you had uh, direct kicks. So, um, I mean, people like to, to uh, uh, glorify the Comcast Sportsnet era, but they forget that, like Jason just said, at the end of the year, there were a good four to five games that just weren't aired in the in the CSN era. And, and right, I so, think people are people are romanticizing it because the Sinclair deal is not great either. I mean, it's great that we get all the games that aren't on national TV or Twitter uh, on, but the it's it's tough to get in HD. the The downgraded SD stream is extra bad it it makes you romanticize fox soccer channel back in their standard def days let's not go uh, that far th- there's a lot not to like plus <laughs> all right that was a little hyperbolic yeah. but uh there, there's a lot not to like about the sinclair situation too so i i don't want to romanticize the the csn days when there is an even money chance a dc united game might not be on but i i see why people uh are are prone to to that instinct. I mean the the main thing I was I was getting at was just that um the league has come a long way and the fact that you can go on Twitter or Facebook uh with the CONCACAF Champions League and watch a f- a fairly solid stream of these games it still feels kind of like a um a miracle. I mean I remember having to um buy a subscription to Yahoo streaming radio to listen to games. And it wasn't all that long ago that I had to do that. So um, the fact that this video stream is going to be extremely good quality and not be buffering for, you know, the first half, essentially um, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I don't really see a reason to be upset about this. Have we seen anybody, has anybody done this before? Have we seen any, has any other sport done Twitter live? Uh, I want to say Isn't the NFL. Yeah, I think the NFL had like a Thursday night game or something like that uh, available on on Twitter the same way. So I think it's not completely pioneering, but I think it's okay. uh, it's still pretty new for soccer in this country. I My thought was. So I'm a huge Phillies fan and they had a game that was only on Facebook against the Mets. And it was, I mean, the, the quality was fantastic. They had a full uh, announced team in there. It was just funny to watch the comment section and see old people melt down that they had to watch it on Facebook Live. <laughs> because for some, I bought a big TV and I got the package just so I could, and now I have to watch it on my computer. And it's like, dude, just hit the Comcast Chrome button or the Chromecast button and throw it up on your TV. So to Ben's point, if there was, a, if, if Twitter is going to give me that Chromecast throw it up on my tv then then i have no problem at all i'm I'm just if you're an apple person you can you can do that too yeah i'm just grump and don't have a chromecast or an apple tv so i just want it on my platform damn it and if for everybody else your problem is you mix platforms ben for everybody else they they can watch it on espn plus right no, it's blacked out on ESPN so. Plus because I it's think, on Unimas. Think, yeah, because it's on Unimas. Oh, it's on Unimas. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is an this counts as a nationally televised game, so right. it won't be on ESPN Plus. Got it. I'm just I'm just a grump. I have an I had to buy a Fire TV stick 
for ESPN Plus, and I have Roku's and Xboxes, and I'm just a grump. That's all. Just just leave it there, Ben. You're you're a grump. We know this. <laughs> you're a delightful grump, and we love you, but you're a grump. I mean, I I I, I appreciate that you call me delightful. <laughs> uh, let's let's get to to another question here. This one comes from a listener, Parasaurolophus, fantastic dinosaur, uh, on Twitter at Lofus eighty nine, uh, who who asks uh, Sports Illustrated released their MLS ambition rankings today, and DC United made a big move up last year. They were second to last this year. They are eleventh out of twenty three teams. Should we reasonably expect to be top ten next year if the reported sale to Doctor Patrick Soon goes through? Or is that assuming too much with too little evidence? Uh, before we get to the second part, I want to I want to talk about this ambition ranking. It's it's an exercise Grant Wall goes through every year where he sends out a questionnaire to teams about what they spend on players, what they spend on facilities, uh, what they're doing to get better, and how new this year how seriously they take extra competitions like the U.S. Cup. If you want to consider that an extra competition. And then he arbitrarily rates them based on his own preference. So the ranking, I think, is less important than the exercise and the questionnaire that you get back from the team. Uh, I'm open to debate on on the relative merits of both, though. I, I mean, it, I, I think the answers can be interesting, um, but a lot of the answers I've only I haven't read the Western Conference answers yet, but. The Eastern Conference answers, a lot of them are very, very, very polished um, as a, a to present the situation as best as possible. And there are also situations where if teams don't have uh, something good to say about themselves, they just don't answer the question. Um, and so, you know, some of it is not really that indicative of much. Um, you know, I'll throw the example of asking people for their Open Cup lineups um yeah as an indicator of ambition i think you could very easily argue for let's say toronto for for example or new york city fc last year um having both gone down to the wire for the supporter shield you could argue from their point that they were just prioritizing the bigger trophy over the smaller trophy yeah. um and that doesn't make them um unambitious for fielding a a lesser team though i think nycfc ended up because they were playing the Cosmos, if I, if memory serves, um, they kind of, I think David Villa played in that game. Um, but the point is that, um, you know, it's, it's very much a subjective thing. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's hard to say, you know, going into the answering the second part, it's hard to say uh, where United will be next year in part, because we don't really know. We know they want to sign two designated players, but we don't know who they are. Um, and we don't they, even know who their ownership is going to be next year. Right. It, it might, you know, it might be uh, Dr. Soon Chung and four or five other people that we don't even know yet. Um, it might be I him by himself. It, it might be four or five people we don't know and not Dr. Soon Chung. So um, there's a lot of variables. Um, I, I think it will probably just my guess is that it'll be roughly the same next year because next year the training facility will be open whereas now it's theoretical and it seems like when it's theoretical you get a small bump but when it becomes real you get a big bump so last year when the stadium was theoretical united got a little tiny bump and then this year that it's a real thing that they will actually be playing in they get a larger bump for that so that's my read on 
on where they're going to end up. But, you know, if they land Mario Balotelli um, and, and who knows who else um, as the other designated player, then, you know, then that probably shoots them up the ranks a little bit, I, I would guess. Yeah, as far as the rankings goes, uh, Grant Wall really uh, likes spending on name players. That's that's one of his big uh, indicators of ambition, and I don't know that I agree with him. I think signing uh, signing a big name player uh, and spent spending a lot of money on a player could show ambition, but I guess I, I care more about smart ambition than ambition for ambition's sake. Uh, well, I also I'm also dubious about him using his own story to then use as nuggets for the ranking. So, like, if if Sugarman calls him up and says, "Actually, the Union are also in on Balotelli," do they shoot up the ambition rankings? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, he he's it, it's a nice, almost uh, convenient. Uh, what what's the word? a nice benefit for him that it, people might want to call him and, and give him information about their teams. True or not. Right. Uh, yeah. If they it's care about the ambition ranking. It's that's kind of why. It's a place for him to like, uh, gin up, uh, tips from mm-hmm. owners to, who want to, uh, manipulate his own ambition rankings. Yeah, exactly. Like right. did he get the ballot. And that's why DP tip while he was putting together this ranking list. It's possible. Um, I do. Yeah, I, I have to say though, I do really like the idea of the union trying to say like, no, no, we're going <laughs> to sign Balotelli. Um, that would be one of my favorite rumors of the year. Uh, I would not stop laughing. I mean, it's already crazy enough. Um, you know, United's. I think I've said on a couple weeks ago when we, when it first came up that I felt like they were in the like under 5% chances of landing him just because as a free agent uh, teams can give him that much more in salary. And it's going to be very hard to compete financially, even before you get into the extra, you know, one, 2 million, 3 million, maybe that you have to throw in just because it's come to MLS. You have to pay that, um, that tariff, so to speak. Um, But yeah, if, if the union decide to throw themselves into it, you know, not through actual actions, but just through, uh, Sugarman making a call, that would be pretty awesome. I I would have some level of respect for that. (laughs) Any big name Sugarman just calls Grant Wall. No, it's us. Yeah, it's it's us. We're We're, the ones. (laughs) We're going to sign Iniesta. Well, we're, we're Philadelphia (laughs) union. But, but my my first was. My my big thing was, and by the way, I tore into this list and I devoured it like it was the 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 slice of pizza that it was. Uh, so I'm not. I would. I want him to do this every year. Having said that, like I don't understand how you ping New York Red Bulls for not being ambitious when they literally have everything that I would want DC United to have, uh, including the the goal scoring DP the the usl team the the stadium already in place a really good academy system just because they've already had that doesn't mean that they're not ambitious moving forward they've got the stuff that i want right and on the and on the other side i don't how i don't understand how uh the la galaxy aren't pinged more because all of this came out before they signed like all of this was compiled before they signed zlatan and the 20 uh the the 2017 LA Galaxy were one of the least ambitious teams in the league. They just Agreed. had a lot of money and 
I don't understand how they're still in the top five after that ridiculous Chris Klein season. I mean, it, it had I mean, just, to be again because that got they're figured when Zlatan was signed. Yeah, I I don't know that it's they're not ambitious because they did go out and get Johnny Gonzalez, um, and and they spent a lot of money to get Bola Kamara there. Or, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, not Jonna Gonzalez. Jonna Dos Santos. Uh, so they, they put a bunch of they money. They did spend a lot of money. It's just that Chris Klein is not good at building a roster, and so they throw good, good money anything. after bad. And they, so, also they, also so they're they, ambitious, but again, it's blind ambition, not focused ambition that is directed at something. Also, they seem to have no interest in bringing any of their homegrown players into the first team at all and yeah. and they don't turn those that fertile southern california homegrown system into any big transfer fees like they gave away jose Villarreal. so it's like these kids that they're, they they have a, they have access to all of these kids and they're not bringing them in the first team and they're not selling them for profit to then build up the next generation so to me that's you can, anybody can write a check i don't know if that means you're ambitious Right. Yeah, it really depends on on um what the check is for in a lot of cases. So, you know, winning whatever race for Zlatan against um wealthy clubs in I, I assume the race was against Chinese clubs pr- principally. Um that might do a little more um in in the public's eyes um than you know, for example, the Red Bulls building up an academy where they can just pull guys from their USL ranks and plug them in, and the next year they become starters. You know, guys like uh, Florian Velo and Vincent Bizacourt have been contributors, uh, not just in not just when they send the B team because of the Champions League, but in those Champions League games. Um, but it re- you know it really depends on what you want out of your ideal uh, MLS club, um, and I think. Uh, I think we're all on the same page where we would like to see something like that in place. Like it, it sucks to say it, but um, the way the Red Bulls have set themselves up is really the model for any team that isn't necessarily going to put uh, eight, $9 million in someone's pocket every year. And that's, that's one thing uh, I think we saw with the responses from DC United, Jason, you mentioned that teams that don't want to shine a bad light on themselves will decline to answer a question. And, and the question DC declined to answer was how many front office personnel do you have? And that I think for people who've been paying attention to DC United off the field for a while, that is not at all surprising that they declined to answer that because uh, the, the, the sales staff, the marketing has, has been, I don't know if lackluster is a strong enough word, Skeletal. Uh, but yeah, they, they, there's not a lot there. I know Roach, you you tweeted out an email that season ticket <laughs> members got this off yeah. season uh, a while ago, uh, where where the track changes weren't taken out, and we actually found out some information we didn't have because it was deleted from the email, but in redline so that everyone could still read it. <laughs> and it was just a, it, it was it wouldn't have been a big deal, and it wouldn't have gotten anyone's attention on Twitter or anywhere else, except that it confirmed what everyone already thought about yes. DC United's front office. And, and there, there are some parts of the front office that are, are arguably run better than other parts, but it all conflates together in, in everyone's mind to just be this bare bones, 
operation that kind of trips over their own feet sometimes. And you see it with the supporters uh, kerfuffle that's happening right now where the team hasn't said anything and everyone just keeps getting angrier at everyone else. And it's just, you know, it's, it's not my favorite thing. And I feel like the, the ambition rankings got me thinking about it a little bit. Yeah. Next question comes from uh, our friend Jimmy R on on Twitter. He's a regular in the Twitter box at DCU underscore Gooner. Uh, I bet he has a lot of feelings right now with the Arsene Wenger news. Uh, he, he asks, very serious question. Who would win in a fight? A T-Rex or 100 Luciano Acostas who feel they've been wronged in some way? You wouldn't even need 100 Luciano Acostas. You'd need like... Yeah, I was going to say... I. I Maybe. Yeah, I, I guess first question, is there a referee there to red card him and stop the fight? If not, what are the other 95 going to do? <laughs> right, if, it's, if it's like, this is Lucha. It's like, if it's like uh, Jar Marufo, you might even only need one Luciano Acosta because <laughs> he's just going to not get red carded and just do whatever he wants to the to the T-Rex, so... I think we might be overestimating Luciano Acosta's ability to fight uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, especially a smaller version of him. Um, I don't know how prepared he would be for this sort of fight. Uh, have the same arm length. That's true. <laughs> I don't know that that would necessarily come into play. Um, I feel like uh, he would be at a he and the other ninety nine would be at a distinct disadvantage, uh, um, especially if. Like, is this a fight where they're getting to make a plan, or is this just a fight where they're all of a sudden having to fight? Um, because without that planning time, I don't think they have much of a chance. I don't know. I think they literally share a brain. These one hundred Lucho Acostas. Okay. So, I, I don't think I, I don't think planning will be as important, especially with as improvisational as as he can be. Roach, are you going to deadlock this, or are you going to throw the the decision I- to Lucho three to one? Honestly, I got a wrench in the whole plan. Uh, to me, the fight begins. The T-Rex probably thinks that it can win, but realizes it's really not worth it to <laughs> take all of the hits from the tiny little bites that the little luchos will give. And then what happens next is like a shark. They have those little bottom feeders that float next to the shark. That's what the luchos would be. They'd fall in line with the T-Rex and feed on whatever the T-Rex was done feeding off of when the T-Rex moved on. There Interesting. You go. <laughs> so we have we have two saying lucha, one saying it sounds like Jason says the T-Rex and and one saying they would form a not quite symbiotic relationship because I don't know what the T-Rex gets out of it, but uh, a a more natural um relationship that's not adversarial yes all right next question comes from john lee at jt lee 03 on twitter who asks us that filibuster dcu based on last week's commentary on mls referees go back and listen to that if you haven't guys uh who is actually the worst ref in the league bill hamid had some thoughts last week um and and jason sent us the the roster of PRO referees and I, yeah, I can't even ahead. decide who's the worst because the pictures are so hilarious and, and you know, terrible. Man, I got to be honest. I had no idea what was going to happen when I, when I jumped in on this 
I'm here for this link. That's the only <laughs> reason. You the hero of this episode because this link with these pictures is such gold. I mean, I and I know Ben's going to have a heart attack here. I could do an hour on these pictures. <laughs> oh, Literally. Go for it. Go for it. On these pictures and just captioning everybody's shot. So please, someone link this link in I mean, the I, show notes section so we can go just, with this. I could just do 15 minutes on uh, Edvin Jurasevic's picture on this thing. His okay, tall hair. Let me get there. Let his, me get there. very tall hair. It's very tall. I, I love that you went to him because <laughs> you, I, I don't have anything on. Dave Ganter and his caught in the middle of, of making fun of a nerd laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and they snapped the picture while he was doing that. Well, uh, especially right next to Mark Geiger, which is the nerd that Dave Gantar is laughing at. Is totally laughing at. You can at. tell which one of the refs used to be a math teacher. I, and that's the other it thing. And you can also tell that Juan Guzman was the PE teacher. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then, and before I don't we, want to talk we, about which teacher Alan Kelly was because he was probably fired for undisclosed reasons. Dude, Alan Kelly is first of all full kit wanker who does not like that <laughs> wanker to him, and he's like piss off, and that that's Alan Kelly. But can I also point out before we get back into the pictures, um, what are your thoughts on the uh, the 2018 pro kit for the year? Because I don't I don't love that they took the traditional blue, blue and put the white pipping over the shoulders. I, I feel like we're getting away from tradition here. I, just, I don't like this royal blue at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think uh, I I think these are just um, are these just polo shirts that they gave them? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think, the, shirts, but they have the no. Even Hilaria Grajeda is just wearing an old. I was uh, going to say, you know who doesn't like the new kits? <laughs> Hilaria Grajeda. <laughs> Grajeda I'm, yeah, I'm sticking with the old one. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean See, that one is worse to me because it's got the stripes on the the collar, which I just i I don't feel good about that. It's my flare. favorite look. I think my favorite look out of all of this is uh, Fotis Bazakos with his just like mess with his. Uh, tousled hair. I, I think he's wearing it the best out of he, all of them. He's definitely. I woke up like this. I, I kind now. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of want to get a hold of one of these polo shirts. I feel like it would be funny to have. <laughs> like I, I wouldn't wear it, but it would make me happy to like see it in my closet from time to time. I would just chuckle at it and then go about my day. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but. Uh, Soren, by the way, Soren, Soren Storchka literally just walked out of the gym after doing 40 push-ups because he knew oh, yeah. this was about to be Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he's he's yeah, I think... projecting his pecs out into the world. <laughs> and uh, one Whether of my the world favorites, wants them or not. One of my favorites, Ted Uncle, caught mid-pronunciation of Ted Uncle. <laughs> mm. Ted Uncle? I think my... My my absolute favorite of these, though, low key, is is Kevin Stott doing the '90s sitcom title sequence pose. Oh my gosh! You know yeah. what? It's so funny you say that because I was gonna say that Jair Marufalo was doing the 90210 uh, Jim Walsh turn of. That's right, I'm Jair F and Marufalo. Deal with it. Also, uh, so Kevin Stott was on Full House. Jair Marufalo was, was on 90210. <laughs> Although I I also enjoy uh Baltimore Toledo just doing the I'm too old for this shit. 
Let's hold on. Let's refer to the man by his proper name, Baldomero Tomato. <laughs> uh, which uh, I think Pablo Mauro is the is the person who spread that that one uh, out into the world. That there was some some unnamed DC United player uh, referred to him as Baldomero Tomato, um, and that's now his name. Like it can't not be. You can't. You know, that's just the way of the world. Um, once, I would really once like Kyle Martini to interview him. <laughs> Carl Martini. Carl Martini. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and don't forget about Pastor Drew Fisher. Hopefully you uh, saw him on Sunday, not to be confused with the youth minister, Chris Penzo. Uh, <laughs> same church, just different roles within the church. I, I think, uh, yeah, Chris Penzo is the youth minister, and I think uh, Drew Fisher is probably the uh, music minister. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's the music director. Yes. So who's got the best? Who's got the best picture? As far as, like, for me, Alan Chapman is just boring a hole through me with his with his <laughs> eyes that I just can't look away. So he's actually, I think he's got the best shot. Uh, I think I'm Robert Sabiga's go... C- got a pretty good one going, too. The bald head is working for him. And he's, gotta go with he's got to go with Jurasevich's hair. I got to go with Jurasevich. He's got the tone without... Storin Stoichka's uh, thrust. Yeah, but I gotta, I gotta dock him for uh, buttoning up all three buttons of the polo. I, I gotta I, dock him. Oh, I think right. I, I was know. going. I think through. that's an intentional. I was going through, and it's there's like nine or ten of the guys have buttoned their polo up all the way. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. A, a lot of them uh, are going with the full button. We've underrated him, but uh, Ricardo Salazar. I mean, he's a not a good ref, but he looks good in this picture. <laughs> I like that he's he's saying no. I will not turn a quarter yeah. of the way or an eighth of the way. I am standing no, straight, straight on, head on, head on only. Um, I don't. I don't have a bad side angle. To... <laughs> Armando um, Villarreal so on the field. Uh, which one of these his, guys? Uh, Armando Villarreal is uh, recreating his uh, Sears catalog childhood uh, modeling picture pose. <laughs> I, I had some cousins who were elder Beerman models when they were kids, and yes, that is correct. <laughs> I told you, Ben. I could do an hour so, uh, on it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm here we, for it. Before we get there, though, which one of these guys is the worst on the field? Uh, I'm that, gonna, that's a, a real debate. All right. I mean, DC as a DC United fan, um, we have uh, our history with a few of these guys. Obviously, Mark Geiger is going to come to a lot of a lot of minds um, right away. Um, Marufo, uh, I still remember a handball being called against Rodney Wallace when the ball hit him in the back of the thigh um, in like 2009 I, I, that I, I haven't gotten over. Um, but I think there, I've got to go. There's never met a red card he didn't or he he could give Juan Guzman. Yeah, that's true as well. Um, but I, I I have to go when when this name pops up when we have to look for referees when I see Ted Uncle uh, getting our game. I always feel like something terrible is going to happen and it might happen for DC United. It might benefit DC United on occasion, but I always feel like something inexplicable is going to occur with him as the center referee. And I also don't like his um, dramatic stomp and point penalty kick gesture. (laughs) I feel like the last thing you need to do when you've done something, that's going to infuriate 11 dudes out of the 22 that are out there at the field with you, the last thing you need to do is make it a dramatic gesture um, to really to really stick the needle in. Uh, unless that's what he wants. 
unless he really wants to make them mad. I don't know. Jason, I want to give you I want to give you two personality types, and then you tell me because you know the refs better than I do. Uh, which ones fit the type? Because these are the ones that I don't like. I don't like the guy who makes it feel like he's in control, but really has no control, which is just like what Elfoth was uh, in the the Navy game. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the other one is the guy who is clearly overwhelmed and is giving too much deference to the star players because he's actually just as starstruck as everybody in the crowd that they're there. So who's the guy who who just a little too just a smidge of under experience inexperience that is uh, letting the game overwhelm them? Uh, I I tend to think uh, Jurasevic tends to seem a little out of his element, um, uh, a little too often for me. Like he's just it looks like he's uh, you know when people are learning how to swim and they try and go from <laughs> like the five foot end to like the seven foot uh, depth, he looks like someone who's just can't really feel the bottom with his feet. And he's like, oh, oh no, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> um, but uh, for, unfortunately, a lot of MLS referees are, uh, fall into that second category where they're, they're too deferential to the bigger name. Um, but if I had, if I, if I had to pick who, one person on this who's, list. Who's the guy, who's the guy who allowed uh, Beckham scissor kicks multiple times? Uh, which one? There were like 900 of those. Um, Pretty much every referee in the league allowed Beckham to try and murder somebody while he was in, in MLS. Um, I, I'm going to go let me, maybe Alan Kelly um, at first was not deferential to anyone. It was actually very good, but has rapidly gone downhill since uh, his since coming over. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Alan Kelly for the second category, but it really could be a lot of these guys. All right. So we'll we'll do one more question real quick and then and talk about one last question uh they're they're kind of similar actually and i don't oh i'm playing the good sport by asking them first one comes from dc united goat fan who's at dc united goat fan asks us if you had to spend every dc united game between now and forever in the supporters section in either a red bulls jersey or a t-shirt that says i love goats forever and had a photo of you dancing with a goat which would you pick? This seems like it's directed at one of us in particular. And I will say that that I would not go in. No, no, I'm not sure which, but I will say that I would not go into a DC United supporters section in a Red Bulls jersey or wear a Red Bulls jersey just on general principle, even more than I would not wear a T-shirt that says I love goats forever. So that that that's my answer there. Last question comes from Gregory Cock. Uh, at Gregory A. Cock on Twitter. That's K-O-C-H. Get your heads out of the gutter. Thank you. If you were if you were guaranteed a DC United championship, but you had to spend the entire offseason as a GOAT, would you take the deal? Yeah. I have questions. I, I have parameters. Because a DC United championship is a big deal. Would yeah, I... If, have... if, if Adam is going to be a GOAT, that's fine with me. We, we, Jason and I and uh, Roach can do this podcast for an offseason <laughs> while Adam is a GOAT. I have questions, though. Would I think like a goat or would I be myself trapped in a goat's body? Uh, would I be, you know, house trained and, and be able to be around my kids? Because, I mean, my kids would probably love this story. Remember the three months when dad was a goat? <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they grow up, as long as I come back, they're, they're going to be fine for three months. No, you, my wife gonna, might get pretty mad. You're going you're gonna to be a goat with your brain in it, but 
a lot of times you you won't be able to suppress your goat instincts. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just I'll I'll be in the house and be watching uh, Purdue basketball, yep. for instance. And the next something thing you I know, like to do in the winter time, you're tearing apart the, next the couch. Thing, I'm I'm eating a blanket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think I, as I mean, long as we have time to prepare, I I I could be convinced. I will say that. <laughs> I mean, I what, will not say that I volunteer as tribute. I will say, I will leave it open to further conversation. Like you're gonna get your affairs in order? What do you mean prepare? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, get the nice blankets the hell out of the living room first. Uh, I mean, I would, I would explain advise... to my daughter what's going to happen. Daddy's going to turn into a goat deer, but he I still like loves you. you. Think, I like how you think that your family is going to prepare the house for you being a goat when they're really just going to ship you off to upstate New York for three months and put you in like a field somewhere. I, I mean, one of the original goats was that Adam too cold, have a goat in his too. yard. Adam has a small front yard. Um, and I feel like he could just live out there for three months. There you go. I would probably like be Adam, on the back patio. I, I do like that uh, Adam thinks he's gonna like live in the house and sleep in the bed next to his wife as a goat. <laughs> You're gonna be in the yard, dude. Settle down. I mean, if it were me having to prepare, it would be all about getting the proper um preferred goat food. I know. There's the old idea that goats can eat a can or anything else they find, but you 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 probably don't want to eat a can if you're a goat. You probably have preferences, and you know trash off the ground is probably not top of the list. Great um, point. So that would be my my main prep would be I, I got to stock up on whatever it is that goats prefer to eat the most. I got to uh, get a good three month stockpile of that. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean you know we're. We're trying to win a championship here, so if that's what it takes, then you know, I guess we'll just have to go through with it. Agreed. <laughs> Sacrifices have to be made, and I'm I'm willing to do what I can for the team, or at least I'm willing to talk about it. That's it for this segment. Thank you all for your questions, even those last two. Stick around. We'll be back with Matt Ralph in just a minute. This is filibuster. Hey Ben. Um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. 
Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Roach had to uh, step away, so he won't be joining us for this segment. I forgot to ask him about his online persona before we ended the last segment. Find him on Twitter at Roach on Air. Roach is R-O-C-H-E. He's got a Facebook page with the the same name. I, I commend you to to both of them. Looking forward, DC United travel north this weekend to visit our old frenemies in Chester, Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia Union. Uh, there's not a lot of joy in Dupeville these days. Currently, they are 10th in the Eastern Conference, tied with DC United on points, five of them to be precise, but behind on goals for and goal differential. The game this weekend, 3.30 Saturday, we talked about it last segment. Uh, it'll be on Twitter and Unimas uh, if you're not on the bus going up there to uh, help us get ready for Saturday afternoon. We have Matt Ralph on the show from the brotherly game, Matt, welcome. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. We have a a little tradition here. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a soft drink. That's called LA one. It's from Kentucky where I lived for a couple years, uh, about a decade ago. Nice. Uh, I, I know it well. I, I married a Kentucky girl and I grew up just across the river from Kentucky. So I also uh, know well, goes, I and I also, go way back. I also grew up uh, just across the river from Kentucky, but not in the uh, heathen state known as Indiana. I lived in the great state known as Ohio. I lived in New Albany for, for a time. Oh, I'm, I'm Which is sorry, right near the... It, yeah. That's across from Louisville. It's closer yeah. to Ohio than where I'm from. I don't know about any of this. We we could be talking about Middle Earth, and Jason would wouldn't yeah. know the difference. Pretty much the same. You guys could have just made the, all that up, and I would I would have to believe you. We're all hobbits here. Midwestern hobbits, <laughs> Matt. The union. Matt, the union are coming off a, a two nothing loss in Dallas. Well, in Frisco against FC Dallas. Um, Frankly, uh, your guys were unlucky, or were very lucky, rather, to to not be down two to nothing at halftime. But also unlucky not to be ahead very early in the the second half after uh, a fantastic double save that um, will probably win save of the year uh, come this winter. Uh, which version of that? Because in the first half they couldn't get anything going, and then very early in the second half they looked like they were going to run away with things. Which version of of Philly is is closer to reality this year? Well, in the first half it looked like they were playing each other. Uh, they were playing because you know FC Dallas really struggled to to finish their chances. I mean, they had they just kept getting break breakaways and and f- finding ways to not score, and that's sort of been the the story with the union offense is, you know, how, how, how many chances can we create without actually putting the ball in the back of the net? So yes, it was absolutely just a, a, a wonderful save, but it just was kind of one of those things where it's like, is CJ going to be able to put the ball in the back of the net again? I mean, he has one goal this year. The team has three goals. Uh, you know, they're creating chances, especially at home. I mean, they've, you know, against San Jose, they, they looked, they looked really sharp against San Jose. They were, they were really clicking on offense. They were creating chance after chance after chance. But as, as has been the story with this team for, for several years now, uh, if not since it was, uh, they began um, in the league is they, they create chances, they don't score. And then eventually the other team will get a goal and, you know, they're, they're basically playing catch up and, you know, 
letting up the first goal at home is tough. Um, when, you know, when a team is basically going to then play, <laughs> they're, you know, they're going to basically play for, um, with 10 men behind the ball. And, you know, so giving up a lead at home is, is really difficult and they've done it way too many times. And, you know, the formula for them now seems to be, you know, you, you want a good team, you want to tie on the road and win at home. They're, they're tie at home and lose on the road is kind of the, the formula. And we can talk about the last team they beat on the road if you want, but maybe we don't want to talk <laughs> I, about that. <laughs> I think I know what the answer to that is, and I don't think I want to talk about it. <laughs> That's in the past. We don't care about the past, except your past. That's what we're talking about. Don't try to turn the light on us. Uh, you, you mentioned that teams on the road typically do play in a little bit of a lower block. Philly weren't doing that in the first half against Dallas. You mentioned the breakaways that Dallas got. The Union were playing almost a suicidally high line. Is that mm-hmm. is that common for them this year? And and are those kind of chances in behind also common? Yeah, the the you know Curtin has definitely encouraged his young center backs to you know to sort of play play up and you know Austin trusts he's very athletic and you know he's the type of player who can you know who who you'll you'll notice will come out a lot to to make to make plays. And, you know, so that's something that's sort of part of, I think, having uh, the, the type of setup they have in the back. But there haven't been a ton of chances they've conceded of that nature. I mean, I just think, you know, they, you know, Jack Elliott was missing, you know, and Mark McKenzie was making his first MLS start. Uh, so that sort of switched up the back line a little bit. And, you know, also FC Dallas just was, was making really good passes. I mean, their, their midfield was connecting in ways I was, you know, I'm, I'm envious of, of because, you know, they were just creating chances and, and connecting and, and really putting pressure on, on the back line that the union haven't, haven't really seen this season. So, um, so yeah, I mean, in some ways um, that hasn't really been what the team has looked like. I mean, you know, even the game they lost on the road to Colorado three nil, you know they looked they looked pretty pretty good in the first half, um, and we're not we're not conceding many chances. And then, you know, Baji just sort of had a you know he had a half where he, um, you know, he kind of went off. So, um, yeah. So I mean, the defense has been actually going in the season. The concern was you know this young back line. How are they going to perform? You know, you know that was the concern, and and really it's been the opposite. The the back line has done you know pretty well. F- considering how young it is and then the, the offense just has not finished chances at all uh so Matt, you mentioned you dallas's no go ahead em yeah you mentioned dallas's midfield and i i i'm curious about philly's midfield in that game were there any changes especially in the the holding midfield area or defensive midfield in that game because dallas in the first half before some adjustments were made seemed to have uh just doing they seem to be doing whatever they wanted there including those through balls yeah they're they're having you know the midfield doesn't really change for the union uh you know it's harris madunian and and now Andre bedoya and you know they've had you know borak dashkal has been the the new 10 that they've brought in and he's been extremely underwhelming i mean i think he had i think i thought he had some pretty positive moments against San Jose and just the last couple of games he's uh, just hasn't hasn't played well so the, the it's not really so much a I don't know it's so much of a change because you know Jim Curtin you know is pretty consistent with 
running the same same system that he's been running. <laughs> and uh, you know, Harris and, and Bedoya are, are his are his sort of automatic in the lineup, no matter who they're playing and what they're facing. Uh, so, you know, it's it probably a little more of you know Dallas and their their tactics to sort of exploit some of the the weaknesses that the union have. I mean, you know, Harris isn't your typical number six. I mean, he's a guy who's on the ball a lot. He's you know he's not the 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 quickest of players at this point in his career and you know they just uh i don't know you know they haven't exactly been uh i don't know if they've necessarily been the type of players you would you would you would want to automatically put in the lineup every every week but that's sort of been the case with with curtain uh, Matt, you mentioned uh, Dutch Cal. I, I know he's, you know, Union fans spent years saying sign a number 10, sign a number 10. Um, so they the team did that right before the start of the season. Um, it hasn't really gone that well. Do you think the issue is more that he just needs time to acclimate to MLS? Or is this maybe starting to look like a signing that just was never going to pan out? Well, you know, I would say... A few weeks ago, I would say, you know, he just needs time. Like I said, I thought he looked, I thought he looked pretty good in the the San Jose game. I mean, he made a great, great pass to find Fafa, a pass that no one else on this roster would make. You know, that set up their last goal they've scored now. But in the last couple of games, there's just, you know, you see things, you see little things, right? His body language, you see, you know, him sort of yelling at his teammates, and you know, not unjustified, you know. Player, teammates aren't making runs or not where they're supposed to be. That's fine to yell at them, but it's just something in the way he's going about it. Um, just suggests to me that, that maybe, you know, maybe it's not a great fit. Um, that's, that's not to say that he can't turn things around. He doesn't, you know, I don't think he's a complete bust yet. It's just, you know, I think anytime you, you know, you're adjusting to a new league, you know, I don't know how, how fit he was coming in, you know, he had a little bit of an ankle injury when he showed up. And, you know, he really – it was the week before the season started that he arrived. Um, I mean, I think he was on the bench or sort of around the team right before they left left Florida to come home. But it, it really was uh, an unfortunate situation where, you know, you, you want a guy like that coming in on day one of camp in January and, and really having that – that extended amount of time to to adjust to his teammates and so when you see that frustration you see him you know his sort of the body language and I mean there's the last couple of games there's been plays where he it's just you know just stupid stupid plays that you know a veteran isn't supposed to make um, so that's <laughs> I don't know if that really answers the question it's just it, it, you know it's very concerning and at the same time you know, I think there, there. He he definitely has a skill set that has been missing in in Philadelphia for a long time. It's just a matter of whether they can all be on the same page. I mean, Roland Alberg was not a, naturally a number ten. You know, but even when he came in, there just things never really clicked with him and and the team. And you know, there was you know him fighting over taking PKs with CJ. I mean, you know, the other the other night, uh, Dushkal took a took a free kick from Harris you know again those are things we're like you know maybe Harris should have taken that (laughs) um you know Harris who's who who has scored free kick goals for this team before so 
Definitely question marks. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write an article with the headline that you know he's the biggest bust in Union history just yet. Um, until we'll see after after DC United well, how it does. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, obviously, goal scoring has been a problem for the Union this year, and I, I don't think that's controversial to say. Uh, CJ Sapong has been a big sign has a big has been a big player. Uh Jay Simpson is still there. Uh what what has happened with the front line for the union and why isn't anything clicking so far this year? Well, that's a that's a tough question. I you know, there like I said, there's definitely chances being created. Um CJ it's, you know, like that. I think that play where that ball saved off the line, you know, it's a great save, but you just, you know, you're like how it just feels like the, there's a wall blocking the goal from from letting the ball go in. I mean, even in the first Sounds game, great when, to C- me. <laughs> when CJ did get the goal in the first game, I mean, he he was he missed, I think at least three, like he, three really clear chances that he should have buried. So. I think out of the gate, you know, as a goal scorer, you, you know, confidence is and, and seeing the ball go into the net is really important and, and it just has not happened for him. And so, uh, you know, CJ still does a lot of the other things that, that, that he's known for doing and he's getting into spots and he's getting cha- chances to score and that's not happening for him. So um, I, I'm not necessarily worried about him. I mean, I, I, I have questions about whether he is – he sh- should have been re-signed already after, you know, I always have questions about like a player like that who has a career year. Do you then turn around and sign him, or do you, you know, sort of say, Hey, we've gotten the most out of him and let, you know, let him test the market. Um, but, you know, I'm not, not overly concerned about him. I mean, Jay Simpson's pretty much, you know, I saw him score in training the other day. That That's <laughs> something I guess, right. <laughs> He's still with the team. He's still making, you know, Way way more money than a, a reserve should should make, and and it really Corey Burke has been kind of jumped him in the in the in the depth chart, and you know Corey just offers a a lot a lot a lot more for Jim to to bring into a game off the bench. I mean, he you know he's 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 quick, he's you know he's big, he's strong, he um, you know he's he's able to do a lot of different things that. that someone like Jay Simpson in a system with one striker is just not, not really able to do. I mean, if you paired, you know, if you had like two strikers on top and you paired Jay Simpson with, with a CJ or Corey, maybe that, maybe that would look a little better, but he's just really a square peg in a round hole at this point. Why why doesn't Jim Curtin do that? (laughs) Because, because he's not, he, 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 he says like he, this is, he's very much stuck to, you know, to the system and the system is one striker up top. And so, you know, and, and, and Ernie is fully supportive of him. And, um, you know, again, reiterated today to Jonathan Tannenwald of the Philadelphia Inquirer that he's, he supports him and he's behind him. So that's the system that they're, they're, they're employing and they're, they're, you know, they're very rarely going to going to veer from that. You know, there might be a situation where a player gets sent off that, that might, you know, in a, in-game adjustments that might might happen or just the way they're making runs, they might it might resemble that. But in terms of lining up 
with two forwards up top, it's not going to happen as long as Jim Curtin's the head coach. Uh, Matt, I, I know um, to go back to the attacking side of things, the other big move this offseason was to bring in uh, David Akam, and he's, you know, currently he's got zero goals, zero assists. I know I've seen a few games where he's looked like he's troubling uh, Philly's opponent in a given game. I, the Revs uh, in the season opener looked like they didn't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still talking about a guy that historically tends to pile up goals and assists. And so far, it just hasn't translated. Is it is it something to do with uh, his fit into the system? Or is he uncomfortable? Or, or what's happening there? Uh, you know, I... I think there's definitely something to be said with the way teams have prepared against the the union. I mean, I, you know, as much as I like to blame the union for everything, I think, you know, in some ways they are predictable. So teams have, and and, and teams know, know what, what David Akam can bring. Right. So I think there's, he's had a lot of attention. Um, He's, you know, had, you know, two people on a lot of times. Um, And, and, and I think, so it's partially that that people are are really emphasizing not letting him beat them and also still adjusting to to his team. I mean, you know, one of the big things coming in was, you know, Philly got a com and they have Pico uh Pico on you know, having them on, you know, the flanks, you know, they're gonna have all the speed. Well, Pico, you know, got himself in trouble and missed the first three games of the season with a suspension. And so he's, he finally came in and, you know, he's had some moments where he's, he's looked good other moments where, you know, is he playing in this game? Uh, and, and, you know, they, they're able to, when you have both of those players in the game, they're able to sort of switch sides. They can each, you know, they can alternate and, 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 you know, both have a lot of pace. Uh, so, you know, in some ways it could be that, you know, just the the circumstances of bringing a ten in a new ten in the week that you start the season, having your starting right winger out for three games to start the season, it could be that, and it it, it could just be, I mean, I, <laughs> players, you know, season to season, you know, they have their form their form dips. So um, I I wouldn't say necessarily a, a com is, is is washed up or anything, but you know, he's definitely struggling, and I think. Um, it's all sort of feeding off each other, you know, where even with a calm, you know, he, who's sort of known as this really positive, you know, player, you know, he's, you know, he's expected to be a fan favorite um, because of, you know, certainly goals and assists help, help that, but just his overall approach to the game. And even, even in his body language, you see just the frustration and, um, you know, and he's, he's the one who takes that shot to the that's the first save in that double save too so um you know there's <laughs> yeah yeah I, again I, it's a similar thing where you know you, you you're you're kind of you know, uh, you're looking for answers as a team and it, it, i think it's you're, you're saying well what, what's the coach doing why is why is this not working um and and, and maybe it's more the coach's responsibility for for making this stuff work uh, than it is the players, but the players still do have, 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 have responsibility too. And, and, you know, they're professionals and they're paid a lot of money. They, and it's particularly in a, a smaller budget team like the union, 
if you're paid anything really of significance, you have to be producing and he's not producing right now. So that's really how you have to judge him. And it's, it's not good so far. Uh, going to the other end, I've, I've asked about some of the, the big money acquisitions. Um, but you mentioned Austin trustee um, and really the Philadelphia union back fours is um, it hasn't been the greatest performance, but we're talking about a group that set an MLS record for, uh, the youngest average age for a, a back line in league history. Um, uh, Keegan Rosenberry should be a homegrown player. He's not because of some chicanery um, before the draft a couple of years ago, but Trusty is a homegrown. Uh, Mark McKenzie, who started the last game, uh, is a homegrown. Um, and if uh, if Elliot comes back, if Jack Elliott returns, then uh, um, you've got a, another guy who's in his second year as a pro. Um, how is that group coming along? Obviously you're not looking for them to be, you know, the best back four in MLS when they're that young, but where do you think they're at as a group? Well, you know, Fabinho, Fabinho getting hurt, um, you know, he was sort of the, the veteran, he's the veteran on the the staff Mm -hmm. and the team. He and Harris are the only 33 year olds in the club. Uh, so, you know, certainly him being hurt and giving Matt Real a chance, uh, as well uh, you know the, the it's been mixed really um and then losing jack elliott jack elliott's sort of been um you know he's kind of been the you know, he had a, a rookie of the year finalist type performance last season surprised everybody uh, who you know i mean i'm a college soccer guy and i didn't really know what to <laughs> i didn't really expect much out of him right um mm-hmm. so so yeah, I mean, in that sense, there's and, and Keegan Rosenbaum. Talk about him, you know, he didn't play very much at all after having a, just an outstanding rookie season. You know, he was the third overall draft pick in the draft, and then played every single minute and was just, you know, was outstanding. And then last year had a hard time getting on the field. I think there were some, you know, some some things, some concerns off the field. I think that that can sometimes occur when a player does well their first year and they, you know, maybe it goes to their head a little bit um, and it leads to some, you know, maybe some differences of opinion. I mean, he was suspended for the last game of the season for posting a photo that, you know, of him on the bench and asking, you know, uh, him, uh, people to caption it. And it was, it was sort of as a way to kind of slap, slap in the face of the coach. Um, and he was punished for that. So mm. coming back from that and, you know, you know, there was, you know, he was called up to the January camp and his rookie season. And so he, he seems to be really refocused again and has played, has played really well. Um, I, I'd say overall, he's been the, the most solid defender on the back line, which makes sense because he, with Fabinho out, he's the veteran, the 24 year old. Uh, Austin Trusty overall has been, has been sharp. You know, he's, again, he is 19, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, you, he's really shown that the minutes that he got in USL have, have, have translated to him being a starter. You know, they still scratch my head a little bit about why he wasn't, why he didn't make his debut at the end of last season when there was nothing to play for. But, you know, here he is. And, you know, they had him in AWU last year for a season and didn't retain him because they wanted to, to, they wanted this to be the year that Austin Trusty was going to be their starter, so they showed a lot of confidence in him. And, and I think he, for the most part, he's lived up to the, to the, you know, to the hype. And it doesn't mean he's, you know, he's ready to, to start for the U.S. team at this point. But 
I mean, I think overall he's been solid and, and Jack, Jack Elliott continue, you know, before he got hurt continues to be, you know, be one of those type of players who's always kind of there to make the play that you need. He, again, I wasn't really big on him last year and was a little concerned about how he'd perform in his second year, but he's, he's, he's been solid. And, uh, you know, and Real has a lot of potential, but, you know, as 18, as playing a position, you know, left back, that's, you know, that's, you know, obviously a, a position of need for a lot of teams, but, you know, he's been really strong going forward, you know, made some unfortunate, um, you know, blunders in the back uh, that have led to goals, but, you know, he's, he's also a promising player who, you know, I've, I'm familiar. I've been seeing him play for a number of years along with Trusty and, and McKenzie in the academy system. And so, you know, it's, it's fun to see those guys make their debuts and sort of get some of those performances under their belt because I think they will continue to get better. And, uh, you know, maybe in a couple of years, the back line, we'll, we won't be talking about them as being young. We'll be talking that, about them, you know, getting clean sheets and, and making a real impact in, in the league. Hopefully not for uh, another couple of weeks, though. <laughs> I, I, I will say I've been really impressed. The limited minutes of uh, Philadelphia Union I've been able to watch. Trusty has basically won every individual battle I've seen in that time, with the exception of the penalty call on uh, uh, yeah. against him on Matt Hedges last week, which I think goes uncalled more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um he he's been really impressive in one on one or even one v two situations that I've seen. Uh, even even or especially pulled pulled wide. He's he's got some some real potential, and uh, hopefully we don't see too much of it this weekend. Uh, last question before we get you out of here: If you were in Ben Olson Ben Olson's very stylish sneakers on Saturday, how would you be game planning against the Philadelphia Union? Cool. Well, first of all, I just have to I have to say um, Ben Olson was my favorite player growing up. Uh, being being from Pennsylvania, <laughs> I knew I liked everything. You. So, <laughs> so I, I can't I, I can hate on DC, but I can't hate on the coach. And uh, but you know, I mean, in terms of game planning for the Union, um, you know, I, I would I would I would attack the back line. I would I would really. Um, you know, and I think in some ways, because the the Union offense hasn't done well, um, I think I think they can take some chances at least early, try to get a goal, um, and then if they if they get an early goal, the, the way the Union have played, uh, again, like I said earlier, if if they go down a goal a, a down a goal at home, it's almost like the best they can do is a draw. So uh, I think if 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 you know Ben wants to, you know. Really, really try to challenge the back line. I think this is the type of team to do it. This is the time to do it uh, because, like I said earlier, you know they have. There's definitely promise there. There's talent there, but it's still kind of a work in progress in terms of trying to trying to get that back line to gel. And of course, if you get through the back line, you still have to worry about Andre Blake. So. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that, that's not that's not too specific. Um, just because I think um, that's the way, really the way teams have, you know, they've, they've showed a lot of, uh, they put a lot of pressure on a comm uh, and, and they've really kind of attacked the, the back line. And I think uh, FC Dallas is kind of, 
you know, really uh, has a lot of film now to show that, that Ben's watching to sort of see ways to, um, to sort of break down the back line. And, you know, there are question marks in terms of, you know, will, will Fabinho be back? I don't know at this point. Will Jack Elliott be back? I'm not sure. Uh, Elliott traveled with the team, but, but, but didn't dress in, in Frisco. So, um, so there are some questions still to, that Jim won't answer won't answer tomorrow because he doesn't uh, when we ask those questions, but um, you know, he that sounds a lot to, like Ben Olsen too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he doesn't want to give the opposing coach uh, too much of a heads up, but um, yeah. So, you know, really, really, those are the, those are the areas I think. Uh, and, and the crowd, unfortunately, I, I don't know. The crowds have not been great here at uh, town energy. So I don't know how much of a factor that's going to be in, in the union's favor or not. Um, heck, they, the way things have been going, they might start rooting for DC at this point. So, um, <laughs> uh, and I know you guys haven't had a, you don't really have a home right now. So this might be the, <laughs> this might end up being uh, the closest thing to a home game you've had this season. We we said the last game was the last home away from home. Maybe, maybe we were wrong. We'll see. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see DC United come out pressing really hard like they did against the Columbus crew partly because it worked really well against the crew and partly because Dallas very nearly created several goals from mm-hmm. pressing uh Philly's backline especially Keegan Rosenberry last week so I I think I think that'll probably be the story of the opening stages we'll we'll see on Saturday though 3 30 on Unimas and Twitter Matt thanks again for coming on the show can you tell our listeners thanks, where they can find you online yeah, uh, Twitter, it's um, Matt Ralph underscore TBG. And right. Nice and simple. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Uh, on Twitter, we are at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website, plus all our personal accounts, which are very easy to find if you are so inclined. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, the Internet Archive, wherever podcasts are available. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Uh, Patreon donations, appreciated even more. Patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially. Uh, The one thing we've asked people from the very beginning to do, though, is spread the word. Tell a friend about the show. That's the... That's... I would say it's all we ask, but it's not. Um, but it is is—it is the oldest of our requests. Uh, before I dig myself a bigger hole, uh, for Jason and Ben and thanking Matt one more time, I'm at. Say goodbye, Jason. Happy birthday, dude.